Hey there. Welcome to the lounge. I just slipped into a tracksuit, and since we're not quite to the 12th day of Christmas yet, I'm sipping a Mexican coffee I crafted myself with a splash of Kahlua and a little tequila. Allow me to invite you to do the same if you can, but with or without a cocktail, I hope you'll settle in, unwind, and lounge with me for the next hour or so. We've got stories and songs and movies and recipes, all intuitively designed to help you groove with the rhythms of the season. You know, the way the light and the darkness are always flowing into and out of each other. Welcome to the new year. Did you make any resolutions? I didn't. But how are yours coming along? A little later, we're going to talk about the how and why and when of making changes in your life. We'll also talk with Patty Cumby about how she chose to quit smoking and how she did it without stress. We'll listen to a rousing adventure about a genie in a lamp who really knows how to make your wishes come true. In our dinner and a movie segment, we'll explore a comedy that Jews and Christians and Buddhists and Freudians all agree holds the secret that'll change your life. And we'll pair it with a recipe for a common dish that holds the potential to be just as unique as you are. And John Ballinger and the boys are here to play a song or two, including a new one from Double Batch Daddy that invites us to try the move that's always left untried. So, here we are. The first week of January 2021. Doesn't that feel nice to say? 2021? The palindrome of despair that was 2020 has ended. We look to the new year with hope, I hope. There is medicine for what ails us. You can't put it any simpler than that. Today, the sunrise in Los Angeles came at 7 o'clock, and the sun will set two minutes before 5 p.m. We're still two hours away from the equinox that's nearly three months away. The festive trees that we took into our homes just a few weeks ago now fill the gutters in the City of Angels, and the lights that decorated our homes and public squares are coming down. We had our first real storm last week. The days are short, the nights are long and cold, and there's little to look forward to in terms of holidays and celebrations. Winter has only just begun, my friends. We've got a long way to go. Last night I had that dream where I'm performing the role of Hamlet, only I haven't rehearsed. I can get through to be or not to be, that is the question. Whether tis nobler in the mind to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune, or to take arms against a sea of troubles and by opposing end them. And that's all I know. I collapse to the stage floor and literally crawl off stage, pretending I've fallen ill, knowing that I've let everyone down. I wake in the cold darkness with my heart racing, and it takes several minutes before I feel I can roll over and try to sleep again. That's winter for me. To be or not to be. Not in a life-or-death way. More in a to be active or not to be doing anything kind of way. 
Is it nobler for me to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous lack of motivation, or should I take arms against this sea of troubles and get some shit done? Should I give in and hibernate like the bears in the Sierras, or resolve to hit the gym and diet, juice, supplement, and meditate my way to a new me? To Hamlet's most famous question, I always respond, to be. But not always, at this time of year at least, with an abundance of gusto. I've found over the years that I'm a slow starter in the winter months, and I've learned to embrace that rather than try to fight it. The bears don't fight the need to hibernate. The trees don't feel the need to produce leaves. They lay low. Unlike the bears or the trees, though, I have responsibilities I need to attend to. I'm sure you do, too. But if you'll allow me, I'd like to invite you to approach your responsibilities a little differently than you do in the spring or the summer when you're all full of energy and purpose. In the winter, maybe we can afford to be a little more in tune with the season and slow it down a little to find a warm space maybe with a Mexican coffee, to curl up and do a little California dreaming. All the leaves are brown And the sky is gray I've been for a walk On a winter's day I'd be safe and warm If I was in L.A. California dreaming On such a winter's day I stopped into a church I passed along the way Day. 
A dream is a wish your heart makes. But making your dreams come true takes more than just wishing, as our protagonist learns in this episode of Lounge Radio Theater. Once there was a woman on the precipice of completing her quest. Trembling with awe, she stood at the mouth of the Cave of Wonder. Within lay the fabled magic lamp, and within that lamp, an all-powerful genie to do her bidding. All power, all destiny lay within reach at the tip of the woman's fingertips. The woman's name was Debbie. You, dear listener, may be asking yourself, how did an ordinary person like Debbie, five foot seven, thirty-something from Dubuque, come to be here? How did an associate procurement coordinator for a regional shipping company arrive at this fantastical portal to another world, pulled from the pages of a child's storybook? You know, my advice is to not worry about it. It would be very complicated to explain, and honestly, anything I could tell you would come off a little far-fetched. Look, we've been asked to bring this piece in ten minutes or less, and who wants to listen to a bunch of boring exposition anyway, am I right? It can be so clunky and awkward. So, yeah, just trust me that she cashed in some frequent flyer miles, and then she got to the cave, and stop asking questions. Let's just get on with it. Hello? Yikes. Debbie could see that the lamp was not going to be easy to find or obtain. But she was a hearty soul, so she began to venture into the first chamber of the deep cave. The passage of utter darkness. I knew I should have brought a flashlight. And on through the hallway of spring-loaded darts. The corridor of calamity. And the passageway of peril. And finally into the nearly impenetrable clump of spiders. And at last, she was rewarded as she emerged, shaking off the spiders, into a golden chamber, gleaming with the light of one thousand suns, and containing... The magic lamp! It really exists! Here goes... Hello there. Wow. Um, okay. Greetings, magical genie. My name is Debbie. Nice to meet you, Debbie. I'm Ruth. What can I do for you? Ruth? Huh. I wasn't expecting you to have a... There's a Ruth in the Bible. It's a regionally appropriate name. Of course. I'm sorry. So, what's up? Well, Ruth, I have come for my three wishes. I figured. All right, then. Would you like to tell me the first item on your list, and please do put it in the form of a wish? Well, everybody probably asks for this, but, well, it would change my life, so here goes. I wish to be wealthy. Okay. So, let me ask. What does the word wealthy mean to you? Oh, I don't. Because, my God, the average American lives like a king if you compare yourself to children who have to rifle through landfills. Sorry, okay, um, uh, do do I have to say a dollar amount? That would be helpful. Okay, let me think about it. Uh Uh-huh. I do want to retire early and take care of my whole family and have a nice house and travel. Um, I don't want to be too greedy. Can we say 
50 million? You sure you can get by on 50 million? Um... Kidding, kidding, I'm kidding. Oh, ha-ha. Uh, 50 million. Let's get started on that. Oh, boy! What's your current income pre-tax? Um, somewhere between 47 and 48,000. Any investments? No, not really. Savings? I have a few thousand in an IRA. Mm, factoring in the penalty for early withdrawal. Outstanding debts? I have a car payment, uh, a few hundred on a couple credit cards. How old are you? 35? Um, I'm 31. Okay, okay. I'm 31 years old. Okay, don't worry. We can still get you there. Good. You were starting to freak me out. Anything is statistically possible. It may be unlikely, highly unlikely actually, but as long as you're still breathing, no one can say it's outright impossible that you would obtain $50 million. Uh, okay then. So do you, do you just wave your arms or... First of all, you're going to need a more lucrative job. Is there any chance you're a rising star in your current workplace? Not really. No promotions coming your way? Don't think so. Any wealthy relatives who might die and leave you some money? Any chance you'll marry rich? Oh, Do you know how to manage a hedge fund? Are you willing to commit bank fraud? Would you smuggle drugs in your rectum? Excuse me? Not like seven days a week, but just to, like, you know, get your foot in the door. Um... Listen, sweetheart, if you want $50 million, you're gonna need to get your hands dirty. I don't... Wait, okay, what's going on here? You're a genie, not a financial advisor. Can't you just, like... I don't know, clap your hands and make it happen? <laughs> it's funny. Everyone thinks that. I bet you saw Aladdin. Well, of course. Everyone saw Aladdin. Is, is that not how it works? You, you know, cross your arms and blink? And... Wow. You're really engaging in some magical thinking there. Magical thinking? You're a f***ing genie. Oh my god, this is just... Disappointing. Well, if you changed your mind about the wishes, I'll be on my way. I was in the middle of making a sandwich and... Wait! No. Okay, Jeannie, I understand. There's no free lunch. I've got to work for what I want. Yeah, that's the spirit of... I will work my ass off to achieve my dream of being a dancer. I wish to be a dancer. The floor is yours. Who's stopping you? No, I, I mean professionally. I've, I've always wanted, no, dreamed. And I wish now to be a ballet dancer. <laughs> oh, yeah, I don't think so. Um, Look, if I can be honest, your body type is way off for ballet. My body type? I'm sorry, I mean no offense. You look great. You look like a healthy, full-grown woman. But ballerinas are freakishly delicate and lean. Okay, well, I, I don't believe that there's only one type of body that is correct. So if well, you... Well, you do not want to be in the ballet world then. Because those standards are intense. But hey, maybe you're a trailblazer. Plus, I mean, you're 35. I'm 31. Okay, still, that ship has sailed, my dear. Wow. That really hurts, Ruth. I'm sorry. I mean, like, you popped out of that lamp and I thought, oh, how nice. It's a woman. And then you just... Listen, you're bright and capable. Maybe there's something in a, you know, in a related field that you could do. Mm-hmm. Like what? Like, oh, okay. What about getting into fundraising and development for a major ballet company? You mean like writing grant proposals and stuff like that? Exactly. Oof. You'd be a part of the dance world, though. And I'm sure you'd get free tickets to all the shows and maybe you could take classes. Yeah, but mm, I don't Sweetie, know. Sweetie, 
They don't need another waif and a tight bun with mutilated feet. They need someone who can think outside the box to ensure the very survival of the art form. These poor dance companies are struggling to stay afloat, what with canceling all live performances during the pandemic. Oh, 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 I got it, okay? Um, here's a wish for ya, okay? And I think you'll agree that this one is pretty darn altruistic, okay? I don't think you're gonna be able to say no to this one, Ruth. I wish for the pandemic to go away. Boy, me too. We'll get there in time. People really do need to start taking this seriously, wearing their masks, avoiding large gatherings. Oh, come on, Ruth! You're a goddamn genie! You can make people wear their masks, magically attach them to their faces if you have to. Oh, Debbie. Look, I don't know if you've ever been to Al-Anon, but there's a core philosophy of staying on your own side of the fence. At the end of the day, you can only control your own actions. So, you, as a genie, have no control over anything. Like you, I have control over my own actions. Oh, for f**k's sake. Choices have consequences. What do you want me to do? Jump in my time machine? You have a time machine? It's a figure of speech. Of course you don't. No time machine. All right. Okay, I'm done here. You might as well jump back in your little thing. I don't need any more advice. I need some magic. Well, as I said, the only magic I see happening here is magical thinking. This is from a woman who lives in a tin can. Okay, I gotta get going. I have work tomorrow. Well, since you came all this way, is there any wish I can grant for you? I hate to have you leave empty-handed. Maybe something more... immediate? <sighs> well, it is going to be a long trip back. Do you have any coffee? I just might. One sec. Could you... Oh, oh, yes. Oh, all-powerful genie, how I wish I had some coffee. Sayonara, world's lamest genie. I'm back. Oh, hi. Oh, it got really shaky in there. Were you... What? Ah. Oh. It felt like maybe you were no. swinging the lamp around. Nope. You were holding it up over your head like a softball. Is that my coffee? Ah, uh, yes. Here you go. I only had instant. Perfect. It's cold. Uh-huh. Well, I wish it was hot. Your wish is my command. Hot coffee. Well, that's two wishes granted. Not too shabby, right? Sure. You tell yourself that. Take care, Ruth. Um, wait. Can I ask you... Oh! Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to leave with your lamp. I certainly don't want it. Here. Thanks. But uh, actually, I don't want it either. Um... You mentioned you had seen Aladdin. Uh-huh. So you know that you, as the beneficiary of the magic lamp, have the option to free the genie with your final wish. Oh, so they got that part right. Yes, that was accurate. You know what, genie? I would, but the truth is, only you can make yourself free. That's not how it works. Oh, no, I think it is. Unless you're, um, engaging in some magical thinking of your own. Touché, Debbie. Touché. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'll take my coffee and head back to reality. And with that, Debbie exited the cave back through the spiders. <laughs> the spring-loaded darts. Son of a... Unfortunately, she burned herself rather badly with the hot coffee. Ow! Ooh. But finally, she emerged into the light. Armed with the 
very helpful advice from the genie, from Ruth. And so began a new chapter in Debbie's life. To her great surprise, she received a promotion at her work and a raise. Not a $50 million raise, but you know, still, not bad. She made enough to afford a subscription to her local ballet season, which rekindled her love of dance and opened the door to a powerful realization. A secret knowledge that had been hidden from her view, which changed everything for her and set her on a new path toward unparalleled prosperity, happiness, and fulfillment. What she realized sitting in the theater, watching the ballet, was that... Oh, uh... I'm sorry, we're at ten minutes. I I took too long on that opening bit, and sorry about that. Um, the end. Looking for a buddy to keep you company in 2021? Now is a great time to adopt a pet from L.A. Animal Services. With several locations throughout the city, L.A. Animal Services has dogs, cats, rabbits, hamsters, turtles, guinea pigs, chickens, and more, all looking for a good home. If you're not ready for a full-time commitment, consider fostering a cat or a dog for a couple weeks. They'll enjoy the vacation and change of scenery from kennel life, and you'll be able to provide valuable information, photos, and videos of your furry houseguest that can then be used to help them find a permanent home. In addition, you'll offer these pets with networking opportunities as you take them along with you on errands and walks around your neighborhood. And if you're lucky enough to already have a pet, LA Animal Services offers many resources to keep you and your pet healthy and happy, including free or low-cost spay and neuter vouchers. If you need medical or behavioral advice or just want to understand your furry friend better, you can attend a virtual panel and interactive discussion via the Doggy Dialogue, Cat Chat, or Rabbit Roundtable. And if you need assistance to feed your animal companion, LA Animal Services offers the Pet Food Pantry on the second and fourth Monday of every month. Please make an appointment to pick up free food for your pet. To see adoptive pets and make appointments for services, go to LAAnimalServices.com or call 888 888- Four five two seven three eight one. Patty Cumby is a self-identified soul in flux. She can be a little tough to categorize. She's an executive producer for the Orange County Theater Company Stages, based in Fullerton, California. She's also a certified hypnotherapist, massage tech, and personal coach, and she's a talented singer and actor as well. She's a true Renaissance individual. I reached out to Patty after I read a Facebook post of hers celebrating a year of being smoke-free. I was struck by the ease and grace she exhibited with her choice, saying, I didn't attack or beat myself up. I just did what I did out of a progressive love for myself. At this time when many of us are thinking about making healthy changes in our lives, I think Patty's insights will be especially helpful. Here's our conversation. I wanted to start by taking you through your relationship with cigarettes. <laughs> how did you okay. start? How did you start smoking? I started when I was a teenager and I 
I'm going to shy away from saying that I think it was a rebellious thing so much as what I realized now was an avoidance thing. It was always about avoiding and, and pushing away. You know, it also kind of, I thought, looked cool, I guess. <laughs> but that was so much a surface thing. It was always an escape thing. Did anyone ever tell you that smoking was addictive? I don't remember specifically. Not at, not at that age. Um, later, certainly. What but once you were hooked? <laughs> I was never the kind of person who would say, I need a cigarette. I would say that I was quitting, but then I would go back to it. And so it never felt like it was compelling, but somehow it was always something that drew me back. Were you by yourself or were you, was it a group of people that smoked together when you started out? Yeah, I would, I would say that the people that I spent my time with, we, um, we, <laughs> we did do some smoking in our teenage years. It was something that, that a lot of people that I knew did. And it also kind of went hand in hand with, you know, how do we get away from, from this life that we're supposed to be living and go do these kind of, I guess, more subversive things? Did you ever try to quit before, before this yeah. year ago? And I don't ever, I don't remember specifically what the reasons were for wanting to quit smoking before. I always said that I liked smoking. Um, and I still contend to this day that I probably still liked it. Um, I liked the act of doing it, but I understand why more now than I did then. It was an autopilot behavior that I had developed uh, to cope, if that makes a lick of sense. It does, in fact, make a <laughs> lot of sense. <laughs> um, on, on Facebook, you wrote, I decided I wanted to do some things in life and that certain aspects of my life didn't really coincide with those things. So I started by putting down the cigarettes. Talk a little bit about what were some of the things that you wanted to do and how was smoking getting in the way? I wanna be able to create things that I feel proud of. And part of that is, is not kind of treating myself poorly. So like the beginning of that is if you're going to start to move forward in your life and build a, a business or a career or, or something, an advocation that you love, you should probably be treating yourself well. If you are treating yourself better, you make better choices in other areas of your life. There's never been any time in my life where I've fooled myself into thinking that that smoking was healthy. I also quit, I, this is something I didn't write in that Facebook post, over a year ago I quit eating sugar because it's terrible for you. And I really didn't put it on the Facebook post because honestly, Everyone will accept that cigarettes are unhealthy. Not everyone's ready to accept that sugar is unhealthy. I want to build a life for myself. And in order to do that, I need to make choices that show that I love and respect myself. Did you have a, a, a vision of yourself in mind before you chose to quit? That's my big problem. I have a lot of visions and probably have 7,000 things at any given time that I'm like, oh, I want to do that and that. And that, and that, and then I just kind of paralyzed myself with, well, that's too much. I can't do it all. So I decided to be like, well, what can I do to start building steps in that direction? And one of those things was how I want to take care of my body. Are you ever tempted to smoke? And, and if so, how do you deal with it? I am not tempted at all to smoke. I had made it really hand in hand with 
with a social thing and with drinking at that point. So I was like, well, if I drink, I'm probably going to want to smoke. So I'm just going to stop doing that too. And then um, we went into lockdown. It's really surprising because I think it's supposed to be, <laughs> isn't it supposed to be that you're, you're stressed and you go back to those things, but I haven't really had that this year. So my guess is just that it was the way that I processed quitting. I was ready to quit. In the article, too, you say that quitting was easy for me because I prepared myself to quit. Um, yeah. So talk a little bit about that process of, of preparation that you went through before you actually stopped smoking. We smoke not because we love to smoke. We smoke for another underlying reason. So I want to understand what those reasons are. For me personally, I didn't want to be involved in a lot of things. And smoking gave me the opportunity to escape. What better thing? I got to go out for a break. I need a cigarette. You could almost sequester yourself away. So I realized that what I was doing was kind of just pushing away life and people. And that I had to be ready to, to stop doing that. And to allow people and life to be close to me. But the actual process involves a little bit more, which is um, it's not just understanding why you do it, that's first, but then it's accepting it. I, I feel like as long as you are fighting yourself, you are never going to be successful. You know, we can't just force ourselves to change because when we're under pressure and under stress, then we're going to revert to our practiced behaviors almost a hundred percent of the time. And then we're going to attack ourselves for failing. For me, it came down to you just accept the fact that you're, that you're a smoker. Just, just accept it. Stop fighting it. But when you want to smoke, just spend some time assessing what you're feeling. So if I sit down and I say to myself, I want to smoke, what am I feeling? And if I identify that feeling and I sit with that feeling for just a couple of minutes and then smoke anyway, <laughs> what you're doing is you're not judging yourself for the behavior. What started to happen was that I would notice I wanted it less and less. And as time progressed, because I wasn't beating myself up anymore and I was being kind to myself and I was being supportive and I was listening to the feelings that were driving me in those, in those kind of self-destructive ways, all of a sudden that voice inside of me was being heard. Those feelings were being heard. I was being kind to myself. So I didn't feel like I needed to hurt myself anymore. And through that process, I expected the process to take much longer than it did. It did not take very long at all because I was no longer fighting myself. Right. It is really so simple. And it has nothing to do with saying, I need to change. I need to stop. All you need to do is just be kind to yourself and listen to your feelings and realize, ooh, I've been really disconnected from what's going on inside of me for a very long time. <laughs> Well, that's great. You, uh, you actually answered the last question that I had for you. Oh, good. I was just going to ask what advice you have for folks who want to make a big change in their lives. There is always change. It's just that we're very resistant to change. And a big part of that is that I think we bully ourselves into changing and changing arbitrarily. The world is very ready to dictate to you um, who you should be. And a lot of times we don't question that. 
Like for me, I don't really know what I want to do when I grow up. I don't really want to, I don't really know. And I've been told that I had to decide instead of allowing myself to just be a lot of different things. Everybody wants to pigeonhole us into this is your title. I think that there are mathematicians who are beautiful artists. There are people who, you know, when you are working in whatever your chosen medium is, it doesn't necessarily have to be boxed into one thing. And I think that we start to use coping mechanisms to get past the frustration that we have with being pigeonholed in a lot of ways. So I just wanted to like allow myself the freedom to be whoever I needed to be. And it just turns out that I don't actually want to be a smoker. I'm so grateful to Patty for sharing her insights with us. Whenever we can take a moment to look at who we are and how we are rather than what we are, we're doing ourselves a huge favor. Or, as my pals Tim and Tom put it in their song, Move Untried, take a breath to know your life before you charge on through it.
You never need to try so hard You want me long before you even knew it So turn them down, those voices that haunt you, my dear Take a breath to know your life before you charge on through it Cause something's shining New Year's resolutions, am I right? Isn't it funny how we make promises to ourselves that we know we'll never keep? Now that we got that out of our system, let's talk about the weather. Here in L.A., it's mudslide weather, wherein all the hills that burned over the summer get washed away in the rain. But we do have some gorgeous days, too. In fact, we have a lot of really beautiful days this time of year. I'm not going to lie. We're definitely spoiled. And, globally speaking, our winter weather is rare. What about yours? Is it cold where you are? Are you getting any sunshine at all? Or are you just getting a series of storms, one after the other? Maybe your ground is covered in snow. Or maybe just frost. Do you get sleet? Freezing rain? Can you even leave the house where you are? And if you can, are you out working in the garden, planting some new seeds? Of course you aren't. And it's not because you don't want a nice garden. It's because you know it's a lot of extra work, and the chances of success are slim. Instead, you'll wait until the last frost is passed, and then plant. Aren't our New Year's resolutions a bit like that? We focus on personal growth at the least hospitable time for growth to occur. Fact is, the New Year is just a trick of the calendar, my friends. It feels like rebirth. But in the season cycle, the Earth is still months away from birthing anything. Nothing grows in the winter. It's the time when we're meant to stay put. Keep warm, don't catch cold. Maybe live off the fruit of our harvest, maybe tighten our belts a little if the harvest was lacking. And it's definitely time to take time during our long winter's nap to do a little dreaming. Dream up where you want to go. Dream up how you're going to get there. Dream up who you'd like to invite to join you on the journey. And then sit with it. Did you make a good plan? Does it have a chance of success? Good growers know that the time to plant will come soon enough. 
They also know that the winter is not the best time to plant. It's the time to plan. When I was a young actor just out of college, I made a plan that worked out pretty well. I wanted to get paid to be on a TV show, and I'd done enough research to know that that meant I'd need an agent, which meant I'd need headshots, and I'd need to get into a play. Once I did that, I planned to send the headshots to the agents and invite them to come and see me in the show. I went out and got my picture taken by a professional photographer. I was very happy with the results. I looked suitably friendly and warm. And I was fortunate enough to have gone to school with folks who were kind enough to cast me in a show that an agent came to see. She signed me and started sending me out to audition for parts on TV shows. That process took about a year. So far, so good. My first TV job was on an ABC comedy called Doogie Howser, M.D., about a doctor who was a teenager. It starred Neil Patrick Harris, and it was a big hit in the early 90s. I was hired to play a waiter, the first of many I would come to play between my actual gigs as an actual waiter. My scene was a short exchange with Doogie and an older woman he was out on a date with. The woman was a regular at the restaurant, and it was my job to come over to the table and say to her, Cranberry with a splash of vodka, right? What can I get for you, young man? To which the underage Doogie replied, Cranberry juice, no splashing. Not a great joke. And not a big surprise when I got a letter a few months later informing me that the exchange had been cut from the show. Later that same year, I booked a job on a short-lived cop show called Gabriel's Fire that starred James Earl Jones as an ex-con who became a detective and used his criminal connections to solve crimes. I had a scene with Mr. Jones wherein he was to grill me for information about a piece of art that I had collected that might have belonged to Nazis. I didn't tell him anything. I was too cool a customer. I showed up to the set on time and went to my trailer. A little later, I was invited to tour the set that would be my office. It was a huge room with giant paintings on each wall. I had a suitably intimidating desk in which to park my ass and tell James Earl Jones exactly nothing about the Nazi paintings. I went back to my trailer in a state of giddy anticipation. I was going to face off with Darth Vader. Twenty minutes later, there was a knock on my trailer door. It was the second assistant director who'd come to inform me that production was running behind and that it was possible, since I didn't give the main character any useful information in the scene, that my scene would likely be cut. Within an hour, I was carrying the wardrobe I'd brought from home back to my little 86 Honda Civic in the studio parking lot, and heading home to my little apartment in the ghettos of Hollywood. That makes it all sound awfully sad, I suppose, but I wasn't sad. I was paid very well for each of those days on the job, and I was doing what I'd set out to do, namely getting paid to be on TV shows. After nearly two years, my plan was working. That winter, I was home visiting my family at the holidays, And I remember sitting in a reading chair in my parents' living room, thinking about the year that had passed, the year where I'd been cast on two TV shows, and I was setting some new goals for the new year. I closed my eyes, and I imagined doing more of the same, 
I imagined being paid to be on some more TV shows. I could see myself on the set. I saw the checks coming in the mail. It was all as clear as it could be. When suddenly, a little voice whispered, as little voices often do, Congratulations. You've already done that. Now it's time to zoom out. And the picture in my mind expanded, and I saw that while my goal of being paid to be on a TV show had come true, I'd forgotten to include the part where the characters I'd been hired to play would actually be seen on TV. I literally laughed out loud as I sat there. I had set a goal. I had achieved that goal. It was time to zoom out and see the bigger picture with greater clarity. It was time to expand the plan. I'm reminded of the short story, The Monkey's Paw, where a family comes in contact with a cursed appendage that grants wishes, but not in the ways you think. The patriarch of the family wishes for $10,000. The next day, there's a knock at the door. There's a representative from the factory where the son works. He informs the family that he's come to deliver a $10,000 check. A death benefit for their son who's been killed in a machine accident at the factory. And when the family wishes that their son would come back to life, you get the idea. The moral of the story is, be careful what you wish for. You just might get it. I believe we do get what we wish for. And I think it's important, especially at this time of the year, to revisit our dreams and check in and see if we're seeing things clearly. To zoom out, if you will. Take the time to dream up the bigger picture and sit with it. Test it out in your mind. Get a good picture of 20 pounds lighter you, or not smoking you, or sober you, or new job you, or scholar you. Dream up and experience the you that's down the line and be open to insights you might have missed. Holding a vision in mind is a great place to start the year. It's also a good time to think about past successes you've had and mistakes you've made. Sit with this for a while. And while you're dreaming up new goals or zooming out to see where you can build on your achievements, Take a minute to be comfortable with who you are, where you are, right now. Take a moment to remember the people who've helped you get here. The ones who've shaped you for the better. The ones who loved you into being. It's good to start the year with a thankful heart. The poet Bono says, nothing changes New Year's Day. And he's right. He's also wrong. Nothing changes in that the sun comes up, but everything changes every moment the earth rotates and the sun appears to move across the sky. The river flows between the banks just the same as it always has, but it's never the same river at any given moment. And you're the same person you were yesterday, except that you're not. You're forever changing in subtle ways and you retain the ability to affect change in yourself. You're completely different when you're dancing than you are when you're sleeping. But you're the same, too. Nothing changes New Year's Day 
except that everything is always changing every day. Same as always. You gotta love the paradox. There is a constancy to change. There are things you can plan and things you can't know. You can choose to breathe fast or slow. Or you can just trust that you'll keep breathing without any thought at all. Same with your goals. Go ahead and plan for the future. But be grateful for who you are, where you are right now. Trust that you're enough. And then maybe choose to do some light stretching or shadow boxing or just put some music on and dance for a bit. Make a few phone calls. Try a new recipe. Learn to recognize the balance of action and stillness. And know that being out of balance is part of the balancing act. And give yourself a break. After all, this time of year, things are out of balance. It's darker than we might like, colder than is comfortable. Nothing grows. Think of it as an invitation to be still and reflect, so that when the time comes to take action, to plant, to grow, you're ready. I like to use the new year as a time to get ready, to ponder, plot, and plan, to rest and reflect, to take stock, to be grateful, to dream up where we want to go, and seek out the fellow travelers who can help us make our journey a smooth one. In the spirit of the new year, I'll offer the following wishes for you in 2021. Raise a glass with me if you're not driving. I wish you good health. I wish you peace of mind. I hope you'll be surrounded by good friends and that you'll be a good friend to others. I hope you'll seek balance, even if it means you're off balance for a bit. I hope you'll take action when the time is right and that you'll know when to be still and allow things to unfold. I hope you know that you're right where you should be, doing exactly what you should be doing. And that you can always be somewhere else doing something else if you choose to. And that'll become where you are. Until it isn't. We'll be right back with dinner and a movie. Let's turn back the clock to 2006. There's some very scary movies released that year. Let's see, there was The Hills Have Eyes. There was the third installment of the heartwarming Saw franchise. But for me, the scariest film of 2006 was a little film called An Inconvenient Truth. In this film, the weapon of choice was not a chainsaw or a butcher knife, but rather a PowerPoint presentation wielded by former Vice President Al Gore, which shed light on the devastating reality of climate change. In the 14 years since then, Mr. Gore and his scientific advisors have been constantly updating that slideshow with the most current information on the science, on the insane weather events happening all over the world, but also on the positive changes taking place that give reasons for optimism. Is it still scary? You bet. But it's inspiring and hopeful as well. Now, what if I told you that you could get your very own live presentation of this new slideshow by someone personally trained by former Vice President Gore? And what if I told you they could present to your club, church, community group, or any other gathering you could think of, small or large? 
What if I told you they could present it over Zoom and that they would do it for free? Well, it's all true. And all you have to do to schedule a presentation is email your request to the Los Angeles chapter of the Climate Reality Project at laclimatereality at gmail.com. Not only will you learn what's happening around the world and right here in L.A., you'll learn what actions you can take to make the biggest difference in the fight for a sustainable future. Again, that email is laclimatereality at gmail.com. And to learn more about all the other wonderful work happening at the L.A. chapter of the Climate Reality Project, visit www.laclimatereality.org. Would you believe me if I told you that there was a movie that I thought could change your life? I bet you would. But would you be more or less likely to believe me if I told you there was a consensus among the Jewish, Christian, Buddhist, and Freudian communities about the movie's transformational power? Would you be more or less likely to believe me if I told you it was a comedy starring Bill Murray? The movie I'm referring to is the 1993 classic Groundhog Day. You know the story. Bill Murray plays Phil, a bitter weatherman who's assigned to cover the traditional Groundhog Day festivities in Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania, with a cranky cameraman and a producer named Rita. On the way back home, there's a freak blizzard that inexplicably plunges Phil into a continuous loop of February 2nds. Hijinks ensue. The script, by Danny Rubin and Harold Ramis, takes Phil through the five stages of grief. Denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance, before he finally realizes that the best way to spend Groundhog Day is in service to others. This breaks the curse, Phil gets the girl, and decides to settle down in Punxsutawney to become the second most famous Punxsutawney Phil in town. If you've never seen it, you're in for a real treat. If you have, forgive me for being meta by saying that the film rewards repeat viewing. It's chock full of tiny little tidbits that'll keep your aha meter running. The more you watch it, the more you'll discover. But wait, you might exclaim, Groundhog Day is February 2nd. Why are you recommending it in January? Fact is, I had planned on presenting Groundhog Day in February, but in re-watching it again over the holidays, I realized that it's not really about Groundhog Day any more than American Graffiti is about spraying paint on a wall. Groundhog Day is a movie about learning to live your best life. It's a movie about new beginnings. It's about learning to break free of destructive patterns of behavior. It's about learning to think of others, learning to love, learning to be part of a community. And it's damn funny. It delivers a profound message with a light touch. But don't take my word for it. Literally, Every religious tradition and psychological association has claimed Groundhog Day as their own. Catholic Christians see Phil's repetition of Groundhog Day as a symbol of purgatory, the place between heaven and hell where the soul is allowed one last chance to purify itself of sin. Where you spend eternity is determined by your success or failure at purging evil from your life. 
Mainstream Protestants don't believe in purgatory, but they're all about purging sin. The Jewish community, which is less focused on an afterlife, sees nothing less than the purification of humanity in Phil's transformation from selfish bore to helpful neighbor. His selfless deeds transform Punxsutawney into a sort of heaven on earth. Buddhists see the samsara, or rebirth cycle, played out in this film. Phil lives many lifetimes in this repeated day and ultimately achieves nirvana and becomes a bodhisattva, the one who comes back to show the rest of us the way to achieve bliss. Psychoanalysts also embrace Groundhog Day as an example of the way we repeat destructive behaviors over and over again. Phil tries to bed women without consequence, to eat, smoke, and drink like it doesn't matter, and to even commit suicide only to end up back in his bed at the B&B at 6 a.m. on February 2nd with Sonny and Cher serenading the start of a new day. Eventually, Phil learns to analyze and ultimately break free of the repetitive habits that do not provide real pleasure, and he moves forward with his life transformed. Of course, you don't need to practice or believe any of this stuff in order to enjoy Groundhog Day, and that's what makes it so great. It's one of the rare films that is perfectly happy being a romantic comedy while gently welcoming you to dig deeper to uncover its life-changing possibilities. The dish that best encapsulates the higher meaning of Groundhog Day, the repetition of the same action over and over is the fleeting mention of flapjacks. I'm sure they're not referring to the flapjacks of the UK, which are more like granola bars. These are the flapjacks that are kind of a stand-in for pancakes. Pancakes. You almost never have less than one, and they're all exactly the same, right? No. Emphatically no. A common misconception of Groundhog Day is that Phil lives out the exact same day over and over again. But that's not entirely true. The day starts the same way, but based on Phil's choices, each Groundhog Day is very different than the day before. Phil's successes and failures inform his choices, and his choices determine how each day plays out. Pancakes offer the same opportunity. You can have a thin pancake. You can make a fluffy one. You can make them large, like one great big pan cake, or do dozens of small silver dollar versions. You can top them with anything. You can fill them with anything. In fact, your first batch of the morning is going to be different than your last because your pan or griddle will heat up over time. And even if you were to try to make each pancake exactly the same, even if you measure exactly the same amount of batter into a pan whose heat you can control perfectly, you are still going to get pancakes that are utterly unique unto themselves. You can not make two pancakes that are exactly the same. How great is that? I don't want to get too prescriptive on the recipe here. You'll get no judgment from me if you choose to make instant batter, and you don't get extra points for seeking out hand-milled flour, locally sourced eggs, and milk. The pancake is yours to shape and mold as you see fit. If you're inspired, put that inspiration into your creation. If you just want something to carry you through the morning, that's cool too. I'm going to invite you 
to try this buttermilk batter from scratch, though, because I think it's nice to know what goes into Instant Mix. It's from Alton Brown, and he smartly advises us to make a large quantity of the dry mix to have on hand for any time the pancake inspiration strikes. It's basically flour, baking powder, baking soda, and a little salt and sugar. It's that simple. Now, when you're ready to cook, you add to the instant mix two eggs or an egg substitute, two cups of buttermilk or regular milk or soy or almond or whatever, and four tablespoons of melted butter. But I bet you could use coconut oil for a hint of tropical flavor, and you're ready to hit the griddle. From this point, the pancake is yours to enjoy any damned way you choose. Add cinnamon or nutmeg or cloves or peppermint to the mix for flavor. Add a fruit puree for color. Mix in a banana and walnut chutney for depth and crunch. Chocolate chips are a decadent choice that I love. Now, how will you top them? Will you top it with a simple maple syrup? Or are you a log cabin or Mrs. Butterworth's type? How about applesauce or peanut butter? Marshmallows, whipped cream, and rainbow sprinkles make for a festive presentation. The point is, there are a billion ways to make a pancake, and none of them are wrong. Just like there are a billion ways to live a day. Even if it feels like the same day over and over. It's always up to you. We want to see your unique pancakes. You can share them with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And your family recipe for pancakes are also welcome. And that's our lounge. Feel free to shed your tracksuit and return to more presentable attire. But I do hope you'll take a little bit of this lounge with you as you go. All right, let's meet the folks who help make the lounge possible. Our show is produced by Ann Kloss Farley. The musical arrangements and our lounge theme were created by John Ballinger. Double Batch Daddy is our house band. You heard Cal on vocals and bass, Dutch on vocals and guitar, and Bax on drums. Move Untried was written by Timothy Gibbs Zender and Tom Zender. You can find it and other Double Batch Daddy performances on YouTube. Ann Kloss Farley, Ruby Farley, and I appeared in The Self-Help Genie, which was written by Matt and Carolyn Almos. And many thanks to Patty Cumby for her insights into making lasting change in your life. Patty is a certified hypnotherapist and life coach. You can reach her at pattycumby at gmail.com. I'm Keith Farley, and we'll be back in a month or so to share more songs and stories and movies and recipes, all intuitively designed to help you to learn, to love, to lounge. <laughs> <laughs>